The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Andrew Martin. I have the privilege of serving here as the youth pastor at Christ the King, and uh, it's my privilege to welcome you uh, to worship this morning. And if you are visiting with us or you are new, uh, we are coming to the end of a series today in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, so I'd invite you to turn there uh, in your Bibles, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to be looking at verses 50 through 58. Uh, and in this chapter, uh, we have been exploring a, a topic, uh, a truth that is central uh, to the Christian faith. We've been exploring the resurrection of Jesus uh, the promise of resurrection uh, that he gives to all who believe in him and what that means for our lives. Um, so it is with, with great joy uh, that I invite you to follow along as we read the final verses of this incredible chapter. Uh, please follow along with me as we read together, beginning in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Oh, Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you uh, that out of your love and kindness, you have given us your true words. And we ask that as we, as we study them together this morning, as they are proclaimed, I ask, Lord, that you would help them to sink deeply into our hearts, that we would hear them, we would understand them, and that we would believe with all of our might, and that you would be glorified and we would be blessed as this happens. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, after graduating from high school, uh, I eventually went on to attend the Naval Academy up in Maryland. Uh, and there's two things I, I need you to know about this school. The first is it's, it's a military school. Uh, and the second is you have to wear a military uniform. Uh, so with that in mind, I want to tell you about an experience I had between my, the, in the summer between my junior and senior year. So it was the summertime, and each summer we would have time for vacation but we also had time for professional training, like required professional training that we would go and, and participate in. And so I had just finished my vacation and I was checking back in uh, for my training and somehow I'd gotten it into my mind that it would be acceptable uh, for me to check in wearing my civilian clothes. Uh, so so I, I show up, I walk into the dormitory wearing my polo and my blue jeans and I find myself surrounded, uh, immersed in a sea of summer white Navy uniforms. Because everyone else, except for me, 
had changed for, uh, for the check-in. Well, Prudence would have said, hey, maybe you ought to like turn around and go put your uniform on and then come back. But I thought, no, I have a different plan. Uh, I'll just keep my head down and maybe I can just fly under the radar. And so with this brilliant plan in, in motion, I was standing there and suddenly I felt this, this presence, like this very ominous presence uh, right next to me. And so I turned and uh, a Marine uh, officer uh, who was a major in the United States Marine Corps had come and he had stood uh, directly beside me. And so we're, we're standing there and he looks at me and he goes, how you doing shipmate? And uh, so, so you know, shipmate has a broad range of potential meaning. It could be a term of endearment. It could also be like, hate knucklehead. Uh, I'll let you kind of determine like what you think he meant by this uh, in this particular instance. But I'm standing there and I was like, uh, with my pulse kind of rapidly rising, I was like, I'm doing all right, sir. Uh, how are you today? He's like, oh yeah, good. And uh, still somehow I was clinging to the possibility that maybe, maybe he'll just leave me alone and he'll just go away. Uh, well, he did not. And uh, he continued to stand there. And as the, as the tension, the awkwardness of the silence mounted, I, I looked at him and I said, uh, sir, uh, am, I, uh, am I supposed to be in uniform uh, for check-in? And he, uh, he looked at me and uh, he refrained from just punching me out right there. He looked at me and he said, um, let me put it to you this way. Have you ever played the game, uh, which shipmate is doing the wrong thing? And uh, I looked at him and I said, uh, sir, is that, is that similar to the game, one of these things is not like the others? And he said, that is exactly right. You are losing right now. And uh, I said, well, well sir, I'm, I'm going to go and become a winner. And uh, with his permission, I went and I put on my uniform for check-in because I was not fit to begin that training without having a literal change of my clothing. And I tell you that story uh, because the Apostle Paul in God's word this morning, he's actually telling us a very similar thing about ourselves, uh, but at a much more significant uh, level. Look with me in verse 50. The Apostle Paul tells us, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You see, in this verse, Paul is contrasting our current bodies, our flesh and blood, with the future existence that God has for his people, the kingdom of God. And the two don't go together. He's saying our current bodies can't inherit the kingdom of God. They cannot be a part of it because our current bodies are perishable. They are subject to decay and to death. But our future existence, the kingdom of God, that is very different. That is imperishable. It is a place where there is no decay, a time where there will be no death. And so it is clear from this verse that Christians, we need a change because our current bodies don't fit with our future existence. And as we, as we recognize this, we, we can't help but wonder, indeed, we must ask, what makes this change possible? Well, let's explore how, how Paul responds to this question. Look with me in verse 51. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. When he says, behold, that's like Paul firing off a flare. He's saying, listen up, pay attention. What I'm about to tell you is extremely important. And he gets our attention because he is going to tell us a mystery. And when he uses this word mystery, what he means is that he is going to share something that was once hidden and unknown, 
something that, that we as humans could never have figured out or discovered by ourselves, but that God has now graciously brought into the light for us to see. And what is this mystery? Well, look with me again in verse 51. There he says, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. Friends, the hidden thing that God has made known to us in his word is that one day, the time for waiting, the time of waiting for Jesus to return will come to an end. That is the time that he is referring to when he talks about the last trumpet, the time when Jesus comes back. And on that glorious day when the trumpet sounds and Jesus appears, the dead will be raised and we will all be changed by God so that our, our bodies that are currently subject to decay and to death will never suffer these things again. And this is what he means in verse 53 when he says, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. What he is saying is that God will give us the change that we need. God will change the Christian's body so that our resurrected bodies are fit for our glorious future. Now, do we have any kids in here this morning? Kids, where, where are you at? Just throw your hand up. Okay, I see a couple of them. All right. So did, did you hear? Did you hear how quickly Paul said that we would be changed when Jesus comes back? Did y'all hear that? Let me, let me ask you a question. R put your hand up if you've, ever had, if you've ever tried to time how quickly you can blink your eyes. Anyone ever tried to do that? Like with a stopwatch? One person has, maybe a couple? All right, well, I want to just do a little experiment right now. All right, you guys ready? Here's what we're going to do. On the count of three, we're going to see who can blink faster, me or you. All right? So on three, we're going to do that. Now, anyone can play this game, you know, if you want to. So, but you don't have to. Uh, no, no, no judgment. All right, kids, on the count of three, one, two, three, blink. Okay, that was pretty fast. Let's do it one more time because I think I might have like stumbled at the end. I think I could beat you this time. Let me try one more time. All right, on the count of three, one, two, three, blink. I, I think you still beat me. I think you still beat me, but, but kids, that is what Paul means. When, when we believe in Jesus and he comes back, that is how fast he will change our bodies so that they are perfect, so that they never suffer anymore. Jesus will come back and will be changed like that, faster than you and I could blink our eyes just as we did a minute ago. And I'll tell you what, as much as it's fun to, to think about how quick it'll be, I really need to hear that news. I really need to hear this news because I can't tell you how many times I've blinked my eyes and they've, they've been blurred by the tears that were filling up in them. As I've wept over, over the decay and over the death all around us in this world. I felt deep sadness as, as family members have no longer been able to recognize their own children. I've, I've cried at, at the sides of graves where I've been separated from people I love by death. And I know, that, I know that many of you have felt the same pain over decay and death in your lives are as well. And, and sometimes it's not simply an emotion we feel, but sometimes our bodies themselves react to the grief. Sometimes we are so stricken by sadness that we actually get sick, that we feel nauseous because it's so intense. And so when we hear 
these promises. I pray that, that in the midst of it, God will use these promises to give us hope. Incredible hope because we know that, that one day all these things we're crying over and suffering through will come to an end. Hope because when God changes his people, we will never again be forgotten by someone whose mind is broken down. Hope that, that we will never again be far from those we love because we've been separated by death. That we will never again suffer the horrors of decay and death. And may that promise of, what, of the change that God will give us on that day, may that give us hope for, for all we continue to endure on this day. Having, having shared this vital, incredible news, Paul, Paul then goes on. To, to rejoice as he continues to unpack what this change means, like what it signifies and points to. Look with me in verse 54. There he says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? He's saying that the day when Christ appears and God resurrects and changes us in an instant, that is the day that death meets its ultimate defeat. That death will be completely swallowed in victory. That death will lose. And Paul is so confident of this that in those things, he actually taunts death. He actually sings over it because he knows that this will be because God has, made, has said that it will be so. Death will lose so that it can never sting, so that it can never have any power over the people of God again. And while verses 54 and 55 proclaim the certainty of death's defeat, the next verses proclaim the source of death's defeat. Look with me in verse 56. It says there, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Paul says that the sting, the power of death is sin. And this is true because sin requires the death penalty. And there is no doubt about this in Scripture because we see it so clearly. In places like Romans 6, verse 23, where it says, the wages of sin is death. And if we look further back in Scripture, we see that, that it was because of, of sin itself that human decay and death first entered the world to, to begin with. That, that's why it's even a thing. And he goes on to say that, that the power of sin is the law. Now, we need to be very careful here. Please do not hear what Paul is not saying. He is not saying that the law, which contains God's good commands, is sinful or, or, or bad. That's not what he's saying. In fact, Scripture makes it very clear that it's exactly the opposite. That God's commands, his, his statutes that are set forth in Scripture, that they are good, that they're beautiful, that they're valuable. They're, they're to be desired more than anything else we could imagine. That's what God's law is like. And it's also true that when the law shows us God's good requirements, it also condemns us because it shows us that we have not obeyed that law. It's like standing in the, ride, in the line for, like a, for a ride, right? Where it's like, hey, here's what you got to measure up to, and, and we don't. Except the consequences are much more serious. That's how that relationship functions there. And what the law shows us is that we have all sinned and that because of that, the stinger of sin is lodged in our hearts. Every single one of us. The wound and that the wound of this stinger is fatal. The sting of sin without some kind of outside help 
that wound will lead to ultimate defeat at the hands of death. Because we cannot do anything ourselves to pull this thing out or to survive its poison. And y'all, if, if that were the end of the story, then we would all be undone and lost. But for the Christian, it's not the end. That is not the final word for the Christian because someone else has stepped in to give us victory over death. Um, one of the, the people in this world that I'm most thankful for is someone who I've actually never met in person. Uh, you see, a number of years ago, my, my younger brother, he was also serving on active duty in the military. He was an enlisted Marine. And they had gone out to do some, some training where they were going to practice using live hand grenades. So they had gone out to this range, and they were standing in the trench. And my, my brother, um, he was instructing this younger Marine on the proper use of, of this very dangerous weapon. And so uh, this, this young man, he, he took his weapon, he, he pulled the pin out, he you know, cocked back his arm, and then he launched it out of the trench where they were standing but something went wrong and he did not throw it hard enough and so it landed outside of the trench dangerously close uh, to where my brother and this and this other young man were, were standing as you can imagine when that thing hit the ground much closer than it was intended to they both ducked for cover uh, in that trench uh, but a moment later something slammed into them from behind you see what had happened was uh, the captain uh, who, was, who was commanding their unit, he had been standing above that trench directly behind them. And when he saw what had happened, he dove into that trench on top of them. Now, he, he didn't have to do that. He could have jumped to the left or to the right and gotten even further down to the ground, even closer to the ground to, to be safer. But he, he chose to dive on top of my brother and that other Marine. So that in case the, the shrapnel from that grenade were to, to come in their direction, they would be safe from it because he was willing to absorb that sting with his own body. Now, I'm very thankful that actually all three of them lived. No one was hurt in that situation. Thank God. But, but what that captain was willing to do, his willingness to take that sting with his own body, that gives us an amazing picture of what Paul is talking about here in this passage. It gives us a picture of the source of death's defeat that Paul proclaims. Specifically the truth that someone else has stepped in. Someone else has intervened to deliver us from sin and death and give us victory. Look with me back at verse 56. There, we, you know, of course, we are reminded that the sting of death is sin, that we have all been stung by it. But then he goes on in verse 57 to say, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he's saying there? He's saying that there is hope for the sting of sin to be removed. He's saying that there is hope for the fatal wound to be healed. There is a way for us to be snatched from the jaws of defeat at the hands of death and given victory instead. And that victory comes not from ourselves, but from Jesus stepping in on our behalf. You see, Jesus became human. He took on a body that could get sick. He took on a body that could actually die. And he did this and then went and obeyed God's law perfectly. He never sinned. He never failed to measure up. And with his perfect record, 
With his perfect record, he went to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus quite literally absorbed the sting of death with his own body when he died for us on the cross. And he took that stinger and drained it of all of its poison. So that, and after that, he went on to not simply die, but then to conquer death ultimately by rising again from the grave. So that when we believe in Jesus, we are forgiven for our sins. And the sting of death is removed from us. If you believe in Jesus, your deadly wound has been healed. And we can have certainty that just as Jesus rose from the grave, so also will our bodies be raised at that last day. And we will never again experience suffering or sadness or death because God has given us victory in Jesus. And you know, I, I cannot think of a greater reason to give thanks than this. I mean, think about it just for a minute. Think about the times in your life when someone has, has made some kind of sacrifice for you for which you've been thankful. I mean, imagine how you would feel if, if that captain had, had dove on top of your, of your family member and the thankfulness you would feel for that sacrifice. Friends, when we think about these things, how much more must Thanksgiving just rise up in our hearts? As we, as we really begin to comprehend the incredible gift of victory that God has given us through the tremendous sacrificial love shown to us through Jesus. Friends, surely this must lead us to join with Paul in proclaiming with our entire lives, thanks be to God. And thanksgiving for the victory God has given us and the truth that this victory is secured that will translate into a transformed life. Look with me finally as we come to an end in verse 58. In light of all these things, he says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Even if others mock or, or ridicule our belief in something that seems fantastic, Paul is calling Christians to stand firm in our belief and in the resurrection. And as we do this, we are also called to abound in serving the Lord as we respond to the incredible love that he has shown to us by loving God and our neighbors in return. Have you ever seen one of those, one of those fountains where it's like multiple layers, it's got like a bowl at the top and it fills up and then it pours over into the next bowl below it and that bowl fills up and it pours over to the next one and you know, you know what I mean? I personally think those are beautiful. And that is a picture of what Jesus transforms us into. He transforms us into lives where we are serving in such a way that our lives overflow in serving the Lord and in loving other people. And yet, as beautiful as that picture is, this is where some of us can actually get a little hung up. We can feel like, well, this is where the grace train stops and where all of my, all of my work begins. Like, Jesus got me this far, and now I've got to do this on my own to you know, to pay him back. Well, friends, nothing could be further from the truth because when, when God calls us to, to, to serve him uh, in an abundant life, just remember this. Jesus died for you when we were a dried up, empty fountain. When we were enemies who hated God and had never done a single thing for him. So when he calls us to, to live lives of abundant good work before him, that is not so that we can somehow keep his love or, or earn his love. No, he already loves you. And that will never change. 
And it is his love that he has shown for us. That is the source of our good works. That is what makes it possible for us to abound in good works. Because not only have we been forgiven, but we have been united by faith to Jesus, who is the vine. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But when you believe in me, all that power to love and to serve, you are connected to that power in Jesus. And he will make it possible for us to become more and more like him. He will give us all we need for our lives to overflow. He is the one who, who makes everything. You, let me put it this way. Your good works are as much a gift to you from God as, as your salvation is, as your forgiveness. It is all a gift. And he will always love you. But with that, he tells us one more thing that's important to hear. Because sometimes our service for the Lord can feel like we're, we're going to that fountain and we're trying to grip that water with our fingers and that water is just slipping between our fingers. Lost to the ground. As if it was for nothing. We, we talk about the Bible only to feel like it's, it's falling on deaf ears. We seek to serve our neighbors and it, and it feels like we aren't moving the needle a single centimeter. Other times, we may even be called to place our, line, our lives on the line for Jesus, as, as many of our brothers and sisters throughout the world are doing. And it can feel like death will be the only result of our suffering. But God in his goodness assures us that nothing we do for him will be for nothing. He assures us that all the good work I'm giving you and empowering you to do, it is not in vain. We do not have to feel the hopelessness of a person grasping at water because God promises that he will give it purpose and all we do for his service. So friends, let us abound in hope and thanksgiving for the love and victory God has given us in Jesus. And let us live lives of loving faithfulness and service as he floods our hearts with love for God in return. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a good and a gracious God that you have shown us love through your son, Jesus, and that you have given us great hope. You have even now given us victory over death so it can no longer sting us when we believe in you. So Lord, we ask now that you would, again, take these words, help them to, to sink deeply into our bones. And may you also give us grace that our lives would overflow with works that show our love and thankfulness to you and that point others to the good news of Jesus that they too may hear and believe. It's in Christ's name we make this prayer. Amen.